welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. to Genesis chapter 39. Uh, this morning, I almost never do, almost have never done in the ministry, that's preach on Bible prophecy on a Sunday morning. I know Bible prophecy is very controversial, uh, but we are living in a day and age where people need to know about what the Bible says about future events. And when you preach on Bible prophecy, uh, you set yourself up to be criticized and attacked. And uh, I'm at a point in my ministry, I'm no longer sensitive to many of those attacks. Uh, I can handle it. I've grown up a little bit over the past uh, 25 years uh, plus of life. Amen. Thank you, crowd, for supporting me in that misstatement. Ezekiel 39, we're going to talk about the battle of Gog and Magog this morning. Uh, I've had several conversations this week. Uh, that's provoked uh, uh, the thought, and I think uh, now is about as good a time as any to touch on these subjects. How many of you pay any attention to worldwide news? How many of you say it's so disturbing I just try to close it out, shut it out, ignore what's going on? That's uh, some. Uh, well, this morning I hate to burst your bubble or to, 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 to bring you back to reality but we will do that in the next few minutes. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 1. Therefore thou, son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountain of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, that and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. And I'll give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, to the beasts of the field, to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field. Look what it says. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I'll send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So I'll make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. I'm going to ask Pastor Ben Thompson to pray for us this morning as we come. Amen. You may be seated. Ezekiel 38 and 39 contain that. These two chapters contain one of the most dramatic prophecies in all the Bible. It predicts an invasion by a group of nations that will come suddenly and swiftly upon a uh, Israel from every direction, uh, and God himself will defeat these armies in a very brief and short time span. And I want you to walk with me this morning through chapter 38. I'm going to do something that I normally don't do in my preaching. We'll walk through this chapter almost verse by verse and give you a short explanation of these events. And people, I do believe we have to be aware that we are living in the last days. I think the church of God has become immune to preaching about the last days. We're truly convinced that I'm fine, things are fine, it'll all be fine, 
Nothing's going to get worse. The Bible does tell us things are going to get worse. And we should be prepared. We should know what is going on. You say, Pastor, how do you know we're living in the last days? Uh, there are too many things to mention this morning. I've preached on them previously. But one of the most obvious things is the explosion of knowledge predicted by the prophet Daniel. And folks, if you don't understand, this is the day and age of knowledge. Uh, until just a hundred years ago, it was amazing the man was still getting around on horseback or by foot. Now the average person has never even climbed on a horse and will not park more than 20 feet away from Walmart's front door. Things have changed. The other day I was flying to Florida and I thought hey, it wasn't long ago uh, that it was a very dangerous trip to go from coast to coast and it would take months and you knew that you were risking your very life to make that kind of trip and now we can do it in a matter of hours. Uh, someone would go across the state and communication would take weeks or months and now it takes seconds to communicate with someone in China, Afghanistan, Great Britain, or Africa. Boy, how times have changed. Technology is changing so fast that now anything that's two years old is out of date. Sometimes if it's two months old, people look at you like, wow, what kind of phone is that? What kind of dinosaur are you? Amen? Things are changing. Technology is changing. The times are changing. And we know uh, in our lifetime, one of the greatest miracles of any generation was Israel uh, coming back to its land in 1948. Uh, they once again became a nation fulfilling a Bible prophecy. Turn to, keep your finger here because we'll basically be staying in Ezekiel, but turn to Isaiah 66. Uh, I don't want to deviate much from our subject matter this morning, uh, but you do need to see this once again. Many Bible prophecies about Israel returning to her lands. Isaiah 66, 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Look what it says. Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as I am travailed, she brought forth her children in Israel once again in a single day. Something that everyone thought would not again be possible. The Bible prophecy was fulfilled. Israel once again became a nation. And let me just tell you whose side we should be on. Let me make this very clear and very plain. You say, preacher, who do you stand with? Israel, God's chosen people. Israel only has two allies, and those allies are abandoning her. Great Britain and the United States of America has always stood, they have always stood with Israel until this point in our history. With great regret and great shame, I see the stance and our position, our new position that we've taken. Now we actually stand with our enemies. And folks, let me tell you this. We are at war. It's not just the president who said this. We are at war. We have Muslims that want uh, around the world that want to kill us. We want to live. So what really is it doubt? Uh, I'm telling you, as a nation, if we do not wake up and understand what is going on, we live in a state of blissful ignorance, covering our eyes, covering our ears, ignoring what is going on around our world like it really has nothing to do with us. It does have everything to do with you. The world you live in 
is changing drastically and dramatically by the second. Amazing what we want to ignore. Amazing what we want to deny. But this Bible prophecy is coming to pass before our very eyes and most likely if the Lord tarries His return in our lifetime. This will come to pass. It's not even debatable. The timing is, but not the prophecy. God's Word always comes to pass. That's what makes us fearful about Bible prophecy. Amen? We now have the technology. Listen, it, it, just a hundred years ago, the average Bible scholar and Bible preacher and Bible teacher couldn't understand Bible prophecy because enough of it hadn't come to pass. And now when it talks about those two witnesses being slain in the streets of Jerusalem, being seen by the entire world, folks, uh, Internet, TV, your cell phone now, you can watch what's going on live in Jerusalem. The entire world, the Bible says, will see those two men dead and laying in the streets. That was not possible 100 years ago, 50 years ago, or even 20 years ago. Average household uh, has three televisions. We don't even need TVs now to see what's going on around the world. You carry it around in your hand 24-7, just waiting to see what's taking place. Amen. Now, here's what's going on. I want you to stay with me this morning. I know I'm, I can see some nervous faces uh, I, I, because... I don't know if it's because Pastor Hank Thompson didn't do this. Uh, I normally don't do this. Uh, I'm not trying to shock you into reality. I'm disturbed by the apathetic mindset in Christianity that is living in denial as if we were in a world that existed 35 or 40 years ago. This world has changed. And the world your children will live in will be a drastically different world than yours. You don't have to agree. Just smile this morning and shake your head. It'll make it easier to swallow. Ezekiel 38, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. Gog is the prince, the leader of this battle. The land of Magog, we're talking about, uh, over the next few verses, you'll see specific places mentioned. And here's what's going to happen. Gog, this great prince, is going to lead an invasion against Israel. Surrounding nations are going to advance quickly, overnight, advance uh, and attack the nation of Israel. Look, but it says, verse 3, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee. Now that is comforting to know. Now here's what prophecy should not do. It should not scare you. It should not drive you into a cave or a bunker. It should get you to understand one thing. You understand Bible prophecy. You read Bible prophecy. You understand God is almighty and constantly in control. And the more we look at a society and a world that's out of control, the more we're convinced that God's lost control and nothing can be further from the truth. You want to know why people act in bizarre ways? Because they're convinced that God's lost control. That is not the truth. God was in control 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and 500 years ago. And when he first gave this prophecy, and let me, let me just cheer you up today. Let, let me tell you the truth today. There are three kinds of covenants in the Bible. There's a salt covenant, shoe covenant, and a blood covenant. Now, when God got with Abraham and promised him this territory, he, with Abraham, formed and made a blood covenant. How many remember Genesis chapter 15? 
and Abraham was commanded to get a she-goat and a heifer and uh, a few birds, but the birds weren't divided in half. And what they did, they would take that carcass, they would cut it down the backbone, divide it in half, put half of the carcass on one side, half on the other, forming a pathway in between them. And then the two people making the covenant would grab hands, walk between the sacrifice, and they would repeat the covenant that they were making between each other. And when they got through, this signified this was unbreakable. And anybody that broke this covenant must have their blood shed. And God formed a blood covenant with Abraham saying, I am giving you this land forever. Say, I don't believe that, preacher. You don't have to believe it. God prophesied it. It came to pass. Israel was brought back in their land and never ever again shall they be driven. Oh, Egypt tried. The world sat back and said, Israel's done. It's over. And in six days, the war that lasted six days, look it up. Some of you are too young to remember, 1967, six days God said, ain't happening. These are my people. This is their land. This is an eternal covenant. Amen. Look what God says in verse 4. I will turn thee back. Put hooks into thy jaws. Now, here's what I love about prophecy. God says, you say, well, why are these nations? Now, now let me, let me just, uh, we'll see further in the chapter. There are several motives why these nations are coming against Israel. Their main motive is to annihilate Israel. Now, folks, God prophesied this way back with the birth of Ishmael and Isaac. And he said, these two will be at war with each other for as long as they live. We know that. That is Bible. They've been at war with each other. The Arabs and uh, uh, the Jews uh, have hated each other from birth. And they want to annihilate Israel. But there's something greater than that that's taking place. And God says, I will draw these nations together against my people. You say, uh, well, I don't know if these nations will ever... They will because God put a hook in their jaw and he's drawing them in that direction. God's in charge. And I will turn thee back, put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. It's not their desire for plunder or for riches. I know many people have said uh, it's strictly their desire for the wealth that's found in the Dead Sea. No, no, the Bible says it's more than that. That's one of their motives. But God is saying, come here, come here. And all an army, horses and horsemen, and all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. Look at the nations mentioned. Persia, we know that's modern-day Iran, Ethiopia, that is land that covers all of Ethiopia all the way to modern-day Sudan. Libya, what do you notice about these countries? Arab, Muslim nations, driven by a leader. Now, here's what's going to happen. Russia is reuniting. They want to become a superpower once again. They will emerge, but they will lead. A, a Russian leader will gather these nations against Israel to annihilate them. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma, that's Turkey. These two places are speaking of Turkey, uh, of the north quarters, and all his bands, many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare thyself. Now, when is this going to take place? Verse 8. 
After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Now, we do not know the exact time frame. I will not get in an argument with you uh, whether this happens right before the beginning of the tribulation or at the beginning of the tribulation or during the first few years of the tribulation. I promise you this, it's not Armageddon. You can't put these two battles together. The Lord doesn't come back and establish His millennial kingdom after this battle. The allies are too few and too limited at the battle of Armageddon. All the armies of the earth shall gather themselves together. This Bible says this battle takes place in the hills, in the mountains of Israel. Armageddon takes place in Megiddo, and the blood runs to the bridles of the horses. Now, what you don't need to do is confuse the two battles. This does not take place at the end. It says that Israel is at rest. Israel's not at rest at the end of the tribulation. They're suffering, they're scattered, they're hurting, they're persecuted and pursued. So we know it's not Armageddon. It takes place before that. And, uh, folks, I believe this. We, as independent Baptist Christians, like to think, well, before anything gets any worse, we're going to be raptured out. Yes, I will comfort you, as 1 Thessalonians 4 says, with the words of the rapture. Those are my words of comfort. I do believe every born-again child of God is going to escape the tribulation. Bible principle, Bible philosophy is God's children never suffer God's wrath. Now, if you are post-millennial, uh, mid-trib, I, if you believe you're going through the tribulation, Merry Christmas to you. I am fine with your belief. I will not argue with you. But don't expect me behind this pulpit the day after the rapture. Someone else in the congregation can take my spot. Amen? I'm out of here. I'll wait for you. Uh, uh, I hope to see you at a later date. But I have no plans of meeting the Antichrist or surviving the tribulation. I do believe this. I personally believe that uh, uh, everything is, is setting up for this battle. We see everything in place. These nations already hate Israel. These nations already have it in mind to do anything positive. You think... Iran is already openly talking about. And Israel's already prepared. They're not ignorant of Scripture. They know. And you say, Preacher, do you, do you believe this will be a nuclear attack? You know, another reason I believe we're living in the last days, if you read Bible prophecy and the amount of deaths and the utter destruction and the things the Bible describes in prophecy, the only way that can take place is through nuclear, a nuclear disaster nuclear warfare. And folks, guess who's number two in the world in nuclear holdings and technology? Russia. Just behind the United States of America. You say, uh, is, what, what do you think? I don't know what God does if it's totally supernatural, if he uses nuclear technology. I do not know. I will not insert my opinion where God is not clear. But I te I'll tell you this. Just from reading uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, this is a pretty serious battle that turns really ugly really quickly. That's all you need to know. And it takes place in the latter days, and we're living in the latter days, and we know these nations are once again, they're conspiring against the nation of Israel. Look what it says in verse 9. Thou shalt ascend and come. They're going to come like a storm. They're going to come very quickly. 
Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou, can you imagine as this unfolds and the earth watches as these nations rise up against Israel? And many have said, well, Pastor, where's America going to be? We've always stood with Israel. There's only one problem. For the first time in our history, we watched this nation take a step back and say, well, there's a problem in Libya. Let's see what the rest of the world does and says. And guess what we're seeing? A pattern, a habit. A nation that now doesn't take the lead. And on top of that, there's an additional problem. It's called an economic crisis. This nation is broke. Don't kid yourself. This nation is absolutely, totally broke. Financially, a disaster. And when we get to this point, this nation won't even financially be able to step up and participate. And America is watching from the sidelines as one of their allies gets ready to take a beating. Can you imagine the international community? Can you imagine the worldwide tension as you have a group of six, eight, ten nations gathered together to totally annihilate a country? Now, folks, you've got to understand, the combined population of these countries that are going to attack Israel is around 500 million. That's a half a billion people. Israel's most current uh, population statistics say that Israel has about seven and a half million. Now, think about those odds. I know Israel has one of the greatest uh, armed forces in the world, but a nation of a seven, uh, seven and a half million people no way can withstand an attack by a group of allies that number a half a billion people. What kind of resources, what kind of army can they muster? A half a billion people can, can muster an army of 30 to 50 million foot soldiers. What is Israel going to come up with? 50,000? 100,000? Let's say 10%, which is really extreme. Okay, 700,000 against 50 million? Okay, we're talking about odds here that are 70 to 1. It's not going to look good. The rest of the world's going to say, you know, you know what we're going to do? Everyone's going to prepare international aid for the dead and say, the two or three that survive, let's have the Red Cross there to pick them up. Are you with me this morning? There's only one problem. God is in total control. God says things look bad, but I've got a plan. Now let's see what his plan is all about. They come to cover the land with bands. Many people with thee. Look what it says, verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind. Thou shalt think an evil thought. Yep, this is going to be really evil. Utter annihilation. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely. Here's what's amazing. Israel's living with the enemy. They've helped them. The Palestinians are coexisting while they walk into unwalled areas and blow themselves up in the name of Allah while murdering innocent women and children. Now, folks, there's something horribly wrong with that, doing anything like that in the name of any God. Now, look what's going to happen, verse 12. They come to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. 
Yeah, that's Israel. Desolate for nearly 1,900 years, now inhabited by God's people. Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions ever shall come, and say to thee, Art thou come to take the spoil? Now, why would anybody want Israel that desolate land? Well, uh, we are now in the day and age of oil. Amen. Plus the wealth that is found in the minerals of the Dead Sea. But it's greater than the plunder. It's much greater than the money involved. It's that endless hatred that's found in their hearts. Anti-Semitism is absolutely phenomenal, not just in this day and age, but down through the centuries, no nation, no people have ever been hated on a worldwide level like the nation of Israel. Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? That's what they come. Look what it says in verse 15. Now shalt come upon thy place out of the northern parts, and many people with thee, all of them riding upon a horses, a great company, a mighty army, I would say so. There's only bad news to come. Because God says, Israel, don't worry about it. Now, here's the amazing thing about this battle. You're going to find out Israel doesn't even have to shoot a rocket, fire a gun, or send out a tank. According to the scripture, we don't even know if a single Israelite even dies. These armies, in an instant, form and come down upon Israel. Look what God says, verse 16. Thou shalt come up against my people Israel. It is a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. Once again, he says, the timing of it, the latter days. I will bring thee. Israel's crying out to God. God, don't you understand? Look, our enemies are upon us. And God says, I'm doing that. That's my plan. I will bring them down, and then with the word of my mouth, I will defeat them. Folks, you better understand the power. He's so powerful, he created this planet. By simply speaking the word, it, listen, God is not caught off guard. God is not sitting in heaven saying, oh, no, Michael, come here. Oh, Gabriel, come here. Oh, good night. We're going to have to do something. Look what's going on. These people are rising up. He said, I already prophesied it. I already planned it. I already got it under control. There's not a problem here. Amen. Now, on this planet, Christians are going to be running around despite the prophecy, despite the knowledge of God's word, despite the messages that have been preached all across this nation. Christians will be frantically saying, oh, what's going to happen to Israel? I'll tell you, Russia, what's going to happen to Israel. You're going down. I'll tell you, Libya and Sudan and Ethiopia and any other nation that rises against Israel, you will be crushed. You say, wow, you're stepping out on a limb. No, the Bible's very solid footing. This is the preserved, inspired, inerrant, perfect Word of God that always comes to pass. I'm not out on a limb. I'm on a firm foundation, and God says, I will bring this to pass. Amazing how the Word of God makes God's people nervous. Amazing how Bible prophecy kind of makes us a little squeamish. God says, I am in control, not Gaddafi. I am in control, not Hitler, not Hussein, not Obama. 
not Boehner, not Bush. I am in control. Amen. Verse 18, it shall come to pass at the same time when God... Now this is... Folks, if you think about this, think about a, a, a coalition of Muslim nations, the one I annihilate Israel, headed by a Russian leader, marching with Russian technology and nuclear capability, swiftly before the UN or anyone else can respond, swiftly gathering literally millions of foot soldiers from all sides. Now, if you look at your map, some of you haven't studied geography in a long time. If you look at your map, these are the nations that surround Israel on all sides, coming together to totally, quickly, utterly annihilate them. And God is sitting in the heavens saying, you're not even going to be able to give it a good shot. So much for that effort. So much energy wasted. Look what he says in verse 18. And it shall come to pass at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord, my fury shall come forth. That's what you don't want to face. Now anybody that begs to see the fury of God is missing some cables, screws, a few breaks short. Something is drastically wrong. And they will bring down God's fury. Look what it says. For in my jealousy in the... Wow, this is where I'd back off. The fire of my wrath have I spoken. Now let me say something to you this morning. You say, what's this have to do with me? What's this have to do uh, with my life? What a lot. Because you now live in a world that's quickly becoming a one world. And... I remember Bush, when he first mentioned Bush 1, New World Order, the whole world said, ooh. He said New World Order. Now it's everywhere. Everyone knows we are living and heading toward and developing a New World Order in communication, transportation. The financial aspect is just around the corner. You are in the day and age. You are living in and seeing history unfold. You are part of the new world order. The freedom that you knew in your childhood. Folks, there's just, you know the news this week. A lady in Chicago went to jail because she refused to give her child immunizations because she was reacting to the ones she had received. You don't control your life. Government does. Soon it won't be Texas law or the United States law. You know what the UN has said? We must eliminate religion, patriotism, loyalty to family, and individual freedom. Well, you know, this isn't stuff I'm inventing this morning. This is stuff they openly say. And as a Christian, just walk around and say, what are you talking about? Folks, you act like this morning I just woke up and started inventing things. And wow, what can I throw together here this morning? I need something to say. Fifteen years ago, this is something you'd hear Alex Jones say. Now this is something that CNN, Fox News, 
and the USA Today put in print. You don't have to go to some special website of kooks and whacks to find this information. You go to the front page of your newspaper, you listen to average everyday talk radio, you know we are living in wild, wild times. Amen. It's time we wake up. Now let me say this. The wrath of God is a choice. It's always been a choice. And if you suffer God's wrath, it was your choice. These nations have chosen. They've rejected Israel. They've chosen the wrath of God. And if you die, if you go to hell, if your destiny is eternal, the eternal lake of fire, you chose to reject Jesus Christ. And just as those men suffered in Noah's day, the wrath of God, Noah patiently, persistently for 120 years preached the gospel and gave them an opportunity to repent gave them an opportunity to get in that ark, gave them an opportunity to be saved, and they laughed and they mocked and they said, you're nuts, you're a fruitcake, what are you talking about? The same way they talked to Noah back then when he prophesied, they talked to preachers today when we read the book of Revelation. And you talk about uh, Gog and Magog or the rapture and you are a nutcase, a fruitcake and a total, absolute weirdo that has to be shut down and shut up. We don't like reading about Ezekiel and Daniel, the way those prophets were treated. This is the day and age that soon the prophets and the men of God will be treated in the same manner with the same level of mockery because we must glue ourselves to this book. And when man chooses to ignore, reject, or stomp on the grace of God and the salvation he offers through faith, you choose the wrath of God. And folks, that's not a good choice. I can't imagine any more foolish decision in this world than choosing to face the wrath of an almighty God that's angry. You say, well, my God doesn't get angry. You don't know the God of this book. He's been angry several times. And when someone rises up against his people, when someone rejects his son, who he sacrificed, who shed his blood for all mankind, he gets angry. The Bible even says he gets angry with the wicked every day. We don't want to be known as a Bible believer. We don't want to stand in the King James Bible. We don't want to say this book is inerrant, infallible, and inspired, and I still believe that. That wasn't just for the church of the past or preachers of yesteryear. I still believe in this book and the prophecies of this book. Amen. Look what it says, For the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking. Now, look at the ways that God defeats these armies and the enemies of Israel. First of all, there's a great shaking. There's a great earthquake so that the fishes of the sea, the fowls of the heaven, the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. Now, here's what's amazing. God doesn't need nuclear technology. God may allow it to be used, but God says, I can speak and the world will shake. He spoke. And 50, Fifteen to 27,000 people perished in Japan just weeks ago. He spoke. And when he speaks, amazing things happen. 
He said, I will speak and the earth will shake and literally swallow up the armies that come against Israel. Now, here's the amazing thing. Okay, let's, let's look at the, the, the three or four things that God uses. He uses an earthquake, verse 21, and I'll call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, every man's sword shall be against his brother. Now, this is going to be one of the most amazing things that we ever, or anybody ever sees on this planet. There'll be such chaotic infighting. The armies will gather together. People from uh, six to ten different areas or nations will come together. The only problem was they're not going to be able to recognize who the enemy is and who the ally is. And when the shooting starts and stops, they've just killed 25 to 30% of their own. God says, you've got to be a little brighter than that to come against my people. You ready to start? And the enemy says, yes. You ready to battle? Yes! Fire! And the Israelites look down, and the shooting has started, and they say, wait, you started without us? <laughs> and before they can get control, a million or two million or three million wake up dead. It's a bad day. So you have an earthquake. You have allies shooting each other. Wait, the worst is yet to come. Verse 22, and I'll plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I'll rain upon him and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him. And overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. God will say, those of you that are left, I'm going to finish you off beaten and battered and maimed and dead. They try to gather themselves together in that large group, that mighty group, that unstoppable force, that defiant army looks at what's left. What's left? The Bible tells us in 39, 1 and 2, Therefore thou son of man prophesy against Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, oh, these are terrifying words, I am against thee, O Gog. Verse 2, I will turn thee back. Israel doesn't have to do anything. And I will leave what it says. What does it say? But a sixth part. So if that nation, if those nations send down, let's say minimally millions of people, let's just say 600,000, 500,000 in a matter of hours are dead. And the rest are maimed and beaten and destroyed and mangled. Let's say they send an army of six million, five million are left across the hills. And the nation of Israel's not yet shot a rocket or pulled the trigger or wasted a bullet. And God says, Do you want any more of me? And those nations say, we just want the Red Cross. <laughs> Amen? And as they raise the white flag of surrender, they gather their troops, they head back to their nations. Israel will sit back. And God says, I have a purpose in all of this. What's his purpose? Look at the last verse of verse, uh, chapter 37, excuse me, 38, 38, 23. Thus I will magnify my name. 
God said, Israel, you haven't paid attention. You've wandered so far from me. You sought other gods. You turned your back. You've rejected your Messiah. Now pay attention here. I want your attention. I did that for you because I love you. And I wish and I hope that you would magnify my name and sanctify myself. And I'll be known in the eyes of many nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 39, verse 7. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Look at verse 13. Yea, all the people of the Lord shall, excuse me, all the people of the land shall bury them. It shall be to them a renown, a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord, God says. I want your attention. I want you to know, it doesn't matter if the army is 5 million or 10 million or 50 million. When I speak, and that's all I do, I don't have to lift a finger. I don't have to raise my hand. I don't have to show my mighty arm. When I speak, bad things will happen. Don't make me show my fury. Don't make me show my wrath. Look at the aftermath of this battle. Verse 9. They that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the hands, the spears. And they that burn them shall burn them with fire. What's it say? That makes me think, seven years of tribulation, that makes me personally think it's probably going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation. Maybe it happens at the middle and it drags into the millennium. I don't know. But I do know this. That's a serious war when things are still being burned seven years later. Look what people see as they travel down this path, verse 10, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any of the forest. God says, you won't have to destroy any more of the forest. He said, you don't have to go green. I'm going to help you out. Amen. Look what happens, verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there, the graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall what? Stop the noses of the pastor. He said the smell will be so great it will stop the noses. Look what it says. Verse 12. Seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them. Seven months. The international community in Israel the Red Cross. Now, can you imagine the surprise of the worldwide community? As they know, Israel's done. All eyes. Can you imagine the United States of America when news hits us that these nations have risen up, come together, and their purpose is to wipe out Israel? The entire world will stop breathing. All eyes will be glued on the TV, cell phones. You will not get in your car without turning on the radio to get an update of what's going on because you know this could quickly escalate into a full-scale world war. And you know you're considered an ally of Israel. Maybe that's why the United States doesn't lift a finger. They say the risk is too high. The loss is too certain. The only thing we can do by stepping in is create a battle we can't win. Let's not side with the losers before we even get started. 
And when God steps in, and instead of Israel being annihilated, their enemies are annihilated, I'll bet the United States will be quick to step up and say, we had your backs. We were only 10,000 miles away, but we had your backs. We had a few soldiers in the area. We had boats headed your direction. Our warships and our planes were on standby. God says, <laughs> didn't even need it. Had it all solved. And folks, let me tell you what this generation of Christians is doing. They're, we're wringing our hands. We're putting our fingers in our ears. We're covering our eyes saying, it's bad, it's horrible. Oh, no, oh, no, it's getting worse. Oh, what do I do? Oh, I've got to do something. Oh, my goodness. And God says, hey, hey, this was planned. I'm in control. They didn't even come of their own free will. I gathered them with hooks and strings. You know what happens to a big old bull when you put something in his nose and you just do a little turn? You can move that 1,200-pound beast anywhere you want. You say, wow, we got Christians running around whining about the darkness. Why don't you turn on the light and shine? The light still overcomes the darkness. We are still the triumphant church. We are still God's chosen. We still have the hope of the rapture. We still know we have eternal life. We still know we're on the winning side. So why is it that we cower, that we hide, that we sweat, that we panic? Because just about the time you panic in life, you realize you panicked in vain. The Christian's motto is it's never too soon to panic. It's never too early. It's definitely not a waste of time. Prepare yourself for the future. How? Panic! It'll do you good. God must look down at His children and say, Have you not read my words? I will bring them down. I will wipe them out. Everything will happen exactly as I have spoken it. And I will do it to magnify my name. Now let me ask you this morning before we pray. Let me ask you two questions. Number one, have you chosen God's wrath? Because if you're not saved, you've never been born again, it doesn't matter if you're in this church this morning, if you go to church, if you've never been saved, you've chosen God's wrath. If you've never been born again, listen, folks, in this area, you can't be wrong. In this area, you cannot make a mistake. I am asking you this morning, be honest with yourself, be honest with God. You need to escape God's wrath. The only way to escape God's wrath is by accepting His plan of salvation. His plan is simple. It's you putting your faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing anything other than that, trusting in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, will only secure your destiny in hell and make you suffer God's wrath. Now, the logical thing to do, the reasonable thing to do, the proper thing to do, is simply say, I don't want to make that choice. I want to choose heaven. Christ is my Savior. God is my Father. Streets of gold is my choice. God's presence is my choice. Avoiding hell is my choice. Let me ask you question number two. Why are you so desperate and fearful? When it comes to Bible prophecy, when it comes to the times, when we look at what's happened in Egypt and Libya and Yemen and places around the world, and when we see what's going on and we say, well, what's going to happen in Iran and, and what's going on in Russia and we're watching missionaries thrown out of countries and, and 
places turned upside down, the collapse of the dollar. What, Pastor, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. God is fulfilling his word, which means one thing. Time is short. Say, so what's that mean, preacher? It's time for you to refocus on things that matter. And say, things are probably going to get a little bit worse, so I better enjoy them while they're still pretty good. If you're a set set Christian now, folks, you, you may be planning to get much sadder. If your joy is upon, based upon the model of your car or the newness of your house or how much you're going to go shopping, your joy is probably going to go south real soon. If your happiness is based upon your 401K and what you've recovered of your 401K, um, let me give you a little warning here. Your happiness may take a quick dip or dive in the next few years. You better make sure your happiness, your peace, your joy is based upon God and this book. And knowledge that this life is short and what happens really doesn't matter because you have forever. You have God. And this world has turmoil, and as a Christian, you should have peace. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.